I'm very, very weak. I feel so weak. It's paining me so much. Please help me. Help me. I want to go back to my country for treatment. Please, I don't want to die here. That is the heartbreaking voice of domestic worker Faustina Tay. At 23, she went to work for a Lebanese family outside of Beirut. Ten months later, she was dead. Faustina was like many domestic workers around the world, who find their dreams of seeking a better life away from their home countries dashed, when instead they suffer abuse, non-payment, and even physical and sexual assault. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Today, we're talking about Faustina's story and the stories of so many women like her. Faustina was part of an organized system of sponsorship for migrant workers that's specific to parts of the Arab world. It's called kafala. For many women who end up in Lebanon, this is how it works. There are agencies that act as intermediaries for wealthy families looking for women willing to sign contracts for steady work with pay they couldn't get in their home countries. And this is a story about how that system can go wrong. We know about Faustina's story because of voice memos, like the one you just heard. Her desperate messages were shared with Taimur Azhari, an Al Jazeera correspondent who works out of Beirut. He mostly covers politics and finance, but he couldn't look away from this story. Before we keep going, we just want to give you a heads up that this story does include descriptions of violence and abuse. So what can you tell me about Faustina Tay? How did she get to Lebanon and how was she ultimately paired with the family that she was? So so her her journey actually began in Ghana, uh, where, where she's from, from the, the capital, Accra. And basically, you know, just just over 10 months before uh, she came to Lebanon, she was running a, an, a noodle business there, like a, a small business there. She'd gone to college, uh, graduated with good grades, according to her family, and, and wanted to continue her studies, but just sort of had this, you know, financial impediment to that. And, and so she began her own business um, and then heard from a friend that, that basically some people are going to Lebanon and coming here and, and basically doing domestic work and, and earning much more money than, than you know, you, she, she would earn doing her job in, in Ghana. And so basically she, she contacts an agent in Ghana. She, she basically came here. She arrived in Beirut. Lebanese families pay in the area of 2,000 U.S. dollars to recruiting agencies to find them people to work in their homes where they'll cook, clean, raise their children, and care for the elderly. Agents in their home countries also get a payout of several hundred dollars. It's big business. The problem is uh, that there's so many interests involved when you have agencies that are bringing, you know, thousands of domestic workers into the country every year. It's a multi-million dollar business. Um, and those entrenched, entrenched interests uh, are, are, I would say, the most difficult thing that you have to deal with. In your story, 
published on aljazeera.com, you spoke to her family and her brother in particular tried to warn her not to go, tried to discourage her from going to Lebanon. Can you tell me about that? Uh, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it was a very difficult conversation to have. Uh, I, I spoke with uh, Joshua Damiana, who is uh, Faustina's brother. He had heard from from people basically that the conditions were so bad in Lebanon uh, that basically people ended up running away. And so actually, you know, Joshua's uh, <laughs> advice to Faustina uh, before she left Ghana um, was was very uh, appropriate. You know, it's it, it really, I mean, ended up foreshadowing uh, what was going to happen to her. If you allow me to go back, I can't do the work. I'm really sick. I can't, I can't do the work. I've been giving them complaints that I can't give. I can't do the work. Faustina Tay sent these voice messages to her family and anyone she thought could help her get out of her employment situation, which had soured shortly after she arrived in Beirut. That's when the recordings landed in Taymor's hands. Without a bedroom of her own, Faustina recorded in secret, tucked away in corners where she hoped she wouldn't be detected. But the voices of her employers were never far off in the background. I'm very scared. I sleep in the kitchen. So I'm very, very scared. Very, very, very scared. Because these people, I now realize, they don't have sympathy for human beings. What kind of treatment did Faustina document herself receiving? How did she fare in the Dia household? So she, the, the first sign that we get that there's uh, something wrong is when she messages her brother in November. And her brother remarks that basically she hadn't been in contact regularly. And she, she says the employers have changed. And then she says that she wishes that she should have stayed in Ghana basically and continued with her business. She said that she was not getting a day off. She was working the entire day, going to bed at two in the morning and being woken up at 8 a.m., and on top of it all, she didn't even have her own room. I mean, she was sleeping on a couch in the kitchen. And so very little privacy. And, and basically, it all comes to a head in January. She asks her employers, or basically tells her employers that she can't work for them anymore. And that's when she alleges that she was beaten for the first time by her employer, Mr. Dia. Um, and uh, then the following day, she is taken to the agency, which, you know, basically brought her into Lebanon. So then she says at the agency, she is beaten by two men, the owner of the agency, Ali Kamal, and another employee called Hussein. So that evening, that my boss beats me up. And then the following day, which was Tuesday, he took me to the office and I was beaten up again. And basically what they tell her there is that if she wants to go back to Ghana, the only way she can go back is by working a couple more months so that she gets the money for the ticket, uh, you know, to basically to pay for her own ticket back. When I told these people, the, the people I'm working with in the house, that I can't do the work again, so I want to go back to my country. They told me that I should pay. Then if I can't do the work, then I should, I should pay them $2,000. So I told them that I don't have that kind of money. And I'm not sure I can provide it. So the voice notes that we have, she expresses concerns that talking about what she was facing could lead to more abuse. And it could lead to her employers taking away her phone, which she says has happened before. Talk to us about that fear and where that comes from. 
It's a, it's a, it's quite a justified fear because in Faustina's case, she actually says that her phone had already once been confiscated after one of her beatings and, and a trip to the agency. That her phone had been confiscated by actually one of the daughters of the of her employers. After their father beat me up, they took the phone from me and they didn't give it to me again. And I was sitting, I was so worried. I, I used to sit alone and be crying. For Faustina, her phone was her lifeline. It was her means for reaching out to get the help she needed, to get back home. She'd been in Lebanon for eight months at this point and was seeking whatever deal she could negotiate to finally leave. She was brought back to the office of the recruitment agents by her employers. They told her that if she wanted out, she'd have to pay. And if she couldn't, they'd take a few more months of work instead. We don't have any rights in this country until our contract that we signed is over. The only way they can help me is I should come and work for three months, which will end in um, March 5th. She was hopeful that she'd negotiated a deal. Uh, she continues to work for two months. And then in March, when the two-month sort of, uh, you know, the two-month period comes due, she basically contacts an activist group, this is Lebanon, and says, you know, my employers are not making good on their promise. So I have to go out and then get a wife and then inform you on what is happening. Okay, please try your best and help me, please. And so in comes This Is Lebanon, which was actually set up by former domestic workers and migrant workers in Lebanon. And they basically are sort of an online vigilante group. Um, and, and if they get a case, uh, say, that wages are being withheld from a domestic worker, they will contact the employer themselves and they will say, listen, you better pay her or we will post your picture online and we will publicly shame you. And, and that's how it ends most of the time. Most of the time, the employer then sort of just says, OK, I will do it. Hello. Uh, Hi. Uh, my name is Patricia. And I'm with um, an organization in Canada that helps domestic workers. And um, I want to know if it's possible to speak to Faustina. Faustina? Yeah. That is Patricia, a caseworker for This Is Lebanon, calling the Dia family. That isn't her real name. She uses a pseudonym to protect the women and the network of people who try to arbitrate on behalf of the workers or try to get them out of their abusive situations. Patricia talked to The Take about Faustina and cases like hers. It's, an, it's the elephant in the room. Everyone knows about this. If a girl gets taken back to the agency because there's a, you know, a conflict or whatever, the agent will beat her into submission. Caseworkers like Patricia are based all over the world, monitoring social media for cries for help from domestic workers. She got into the work when living in Lebanon, and she couldn't believe what she saw. 
Yeah, I mean, I was like everyone else for so long. I lived for years without being aware of this problem in Lebanon. You know, after a while, you just your eyes are open, and once you see them, you can't unsee them. And so you, you, you start to notice what's really happening. And it's like you, you see the invisible because they are generally the invisible people. You know, about 75% of them are locked in. These women have nowhere else to go. Even if they get to the police station, even if they get out, they manage to escape the house. If they go to the authorities, the authorities will return them to their abusers or to the agents who are generally more abusive than the employers anyway. So where are they going to go? There's just, there's nowhere to turn. Between March 10th and 14th, Faustina sent dozens of messages to her brother and This Is Lebanon, pleading that she feared for her life. I was able to contact my family and tell them everything that had happened again. After the first meeting in the office, then I'm scared. I'm scared. They might kill me. I'm really scared. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I want to run. Seymour, this is hard to hear, and of course, must have been even harder to live and then to report on. I'm sure there might be people listening to this who are thinking, why didn't she just run away? Why didn't she go back to Ghana? What's the answer to that? Well, as soon as you run away from the employer's home in Lebanon, if the authorities catch you, they will put you in prison. Um, And so it's kind of a, you know, it's really being between a rock and a hard place. And, and then they exist in this sort of state of legal limbo uh, because uh, they don't have documentation anymore. Oftentimes the employer will hold on to their passport or their IDs. Um, and so basically they can't get back to their country. Um, in order to get back, they would have to pay massive fines, uh, which many of these, these uh, women, and they are mostly women, don't have. Um, and, and it's also possible that you know, she believed that she actually could get help. Uh, thought that her employers would actually get better and and she thought that it would pass. Um, But in the end, it didn't end up happening. Patricia never got to speak to Faustina. Here she is from that call to one of the women in the Dia family. Where is she now? Is she in your house or in the office? Is she okay? I want to tell for you something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Faustina... Uh, tell herself she was dead. You're kidding me. No, no, I speak the I'm of you. She uh, gets herself from the balcony. Are you telling me that she jumped from the balcony? On March 14th, Faustina Tay was found dead in the parking area of her employer's four-story home. Just three days before her death, Patricia said she'd been in touch with Faustina and had received the photos Faustina had documented of her swollen face and body, which she said were the result of beatings. Patricia made one last plea for information before the call with the Dia family ended. I need the number immediately, please. Her family are concerned and they don't know that she's dead. 
She tried to get the phone number of the recruitment agency. The family told her to call back, but that was her last call with them. The details of what happened in the hours leading up to Faustina's death are unclear. Taymor says that according to one of the country's main intelligence agencies, since 2017, two domestic workers die each week in Lebanon. Many of the deaths are the result of falls from buildings, like in Faustina's case. Some are botched attempts to escape, some are suicides, and others are allegedly murders. What do we know about how she died? Um, it's, it's really difficult to know what happened in those last hours. But we do know that Faustina had been extremely active on her phone in the week leading up to her death. And then suddenly she goes silent 18 hours before her death. And, and her body is found at uh, between 3 and 4 in the morning. There was a police report. A forensic doctor determined there was no sign of abuse. But for those who've been following her case, the facts don't add up. So then how seriously do you think the Lebanese judiciary and other officials are taking this issue? Well, sadly, if, uh, if you know, the past is, is any indication, uh, not very seriously at all. The actual police investigation into Faustina's death basically had the hypothesis of suicide. And uh, there is no indication that there, there was any investigation into whether there was, you know, physical assault or the conditions that led to her suicide, except for a search of the home, which is quite standard. What we have seen is that judges and police, the judiciary and the, and the police system, don't tend to give too much importance to these cases. Taymor spoke to the Dia family the day after Faustina's death and they denied it was anything other than a suicide by Faustina. He said that, uh, you know, he, he did not beat her uh, and that, uh, he, you know, he treated her well. He tells us that it's been largely left up to the families of the domestic workers, clergy, and journalists to look into the circumstances surrounding these deaths. In Faustina's case specifically, I know that her uh, family, her father is seeking uh, an investigation into her suicide uh, through the uh, Ghanaian Foreign Ministry. Taymor shared his reporting with Lebanon's Labor Ministry. They have now opened an investigation into Faustina's death. Mr. Dia is expected to go in for questioning this month. Taymor says it's not a criminal investigation but it could lead to the Dia family being banned from ever employing a domestic worker. And the Al Kamal Trading and Services Agency, which brought Faustina to Lebanon, could be blacklisted from recruiting domestic workers. In a country of just over 6 million people, official estimates show there are roughly 200,000 domestic workers. But unofficially, Caseworkers from organizations like This Is Lebanon say there are upwards of 400,000. Advocates say abuse is on the rise in Lebanon. They've seen an increase in the number of calls for help on social media from domestic workers in recent months. Patricia said what she and others are asking for 
is more legal protection for these women. They want the system that employs them to be more visible and accountable so women like Faustina don't slip through the cracks. So we're not, uh, we're, and we're not saying all Lebanese are bad and all domestic workers are good. We're not, that's not what we're saying. All we're saying is please, for the love of God, include these girls under the labour laws and, and enforce them. So that, because two a week are dying. Imagine two of these girls every week are dying and m- many of them, we think, are, are not suicide. And that's The Take. You can find more of Taymor's reporting on our website. We'll drop a few links there. Podcasts.aljazeera.com slash The Take. This episode was produced by Stacey Samuel, our executive producer, along with Ney Alvarez, Priyanka Tilvey, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, Dina Kispe, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan was the sound designer. Natalia Andana is our engagement producer. And Graylin Bouchier is Al Jazeera's head of audio.